What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. All right, well, again, good morning. I think you've been uh, greatly welcomed this morning by different people. My name's Craig, and my wife, Kara, and I are the lead pastors here of Convo Church, and uh, we're glad you're here. Woo! If you're a guest today, you already got greeted, but I just want to echo it, and just thank you for being here. Thanks for taking the time. We never take it for granted, and uh, uh, pretty much everything that we do and how we do it is is meant to create an environment where you feel welcome, where you feel like you can come as yourself. And, and our hope is that throughout the time that, that you'd encounter God, uh, whether you know what that means or whether you've been away from God and you feel like it's time for you to come back, you know, whatever, wherever you are, this is a safe place for you. And we're just glad that you're here. Um, but I, I get the, the privilege of opening the Bible with you and talking about Jesus. It's our favorite thing to do here at Convo Church, Convo Shore for Conversation. And the best conversation is talking about the love and grace of God. Amen. And, uh, and that's what we're getting into today. So we actually, if you've been coming for a while or even were online with us before we got back in person, we were in the process of a series called Joy Anyway, which means that whatever's going on in my life, I can have joy anyway. You know, fill in the blanks. Lost my job, I can have joy anyway. Somebody got sick, I can have joy anyway. People are angry at me, I can have joy anyway. And so we've been laying this foundation, going through the book of Philippians. We're doing a a study of one of the books of the Bible in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote this letter. It was actually a letter to the church in Philippi. And that was the overarching theme of this entire book has been the topic of joy and how you can have joy in absolutely any situation in any season. And the reason that you can, you got to understand the context, Paul was not writing from a beach in the Caribbean. Which that, man, that sounds fantastic right now. He was writing from a prison in Rome where he was in chains, where he was wrongfully prisoned, where he was persecuted simply because he was preaching the gospel. And so if anybody can find the means to talk about joy from that type of perspective, he's got my attention. And so I'm like, maybe I can learn something from what he's trying to say. So today, actually, we are going to be wrapping up this series and we're in, i got to shift this thing around and make it fit, Philippians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or if you, have, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, you can always use the phone. We always tell people every human being on the planet should download the YouVersion Bible app because it's there. It's at your fingertips. It doesn't replace this beautiful piece of paper. Um, and even if you got none of those, we'll, we'll put some stuff up on the screen behind me too. And I, got, I just need to, I keep talking, but I'm not going there. Okay, here we are. So we're going to start in chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to be, um, yeah, I just got to get to it. Okay, cha- uh, verse 1, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. Now I appeal to Euodia, that's how you say that, and Syntyche, that's how you say it without a Hebrew accent, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. 
And I ask you, my true partners, some, most people think that were, those were the individuals carrying the letter to the church that he was addressing here, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life, which is a reference to a book that exists in heaven that when you say yes to Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse four, it says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Can somebody say always? Does that mean sometimes? Does that mean when it's easy? Does that mean when the economy is booming? I mean, it's easier when it is. But does that mean when it's, I mean, all the things. Always means always, right? Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. There's a couple of statements here a little hard to, to accept, right? Always be full of joy. Oh, okay. Uh, don't worry about anything. All right, now we're just getting crazy. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Paul's wrapping it up. And he doesn't, he doesn't honestly know if he will ever see them again. He longs to see them, but he doesn't know if he will actually ever see them again in that life. He says, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Somebody say, fix it. Fix, it. fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. That's not an arrogant statement by Paul, but Paul understands the value of being able to be a model so that somebody can see Jesus through you. He says, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Jesus, open our hearts, open our minds, help us with this. God, we're not here to check a box, to do religion, to say, yeah, we know the Bible, now we're gonna do life. We're here to learn and grow and be transformed into your image. Help us today in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna power through some of this today and some of it we just might not get to. You'll just have to read your Bible for yourself later. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm glad we did that thing with, with the youth and praying for the kids and, and I love the fact that we now have Convo Youth my wife and I had dedicated, please clap because we need this for our teenagers. Our, our wife and I have literally in ministry dedicated our life to doing youth ministry. That's what we've done for many, many years. Not, and so for us, like our kids as babies and infants and, you know, pre, pre-birth, right after birth, and then ever since have been dragged and raised in youth ministry when they didn't have a choice, and then eventually when it was, you know, their choice. And so it's just good for us to, to now be able to say with Convo, we now have that, not just for them, but for everybody. So for us, we had many years in youth ministry, and as Chantel attested in her, her tic-tac-toe um, injury, I still haven't figured that out yet, um, you need to stretch more, stretching. There's stretching before you play tic-tac-toe. Um, but in, if you don't know about, you didn't grow up in church, maybe you didn't go to a youth group, Half of youth ministry is doing games that don't make any sense just to gross people out or to see the, the confines of the human stomach. If, and don't judge it if you don't understand it because it's fantastic. 
and people come to know Jesus through this. So I remember this one particular uh, year at one of our youth camps. I love youth camps, grew up going to youth camps, and now we're, we're in that season where we can start, you know, kind of creating this environment for teens here. But youth camps are always known for two big things. One is life transformation, encountering God, the presence of God, your destiny and your purpose comes alive. The other is the games that will mostly be banned in other public settings, but they're okay at youth camp. And so I remember this one particular game where it was a relay, because you always had to try to, you know, you had athletic and non-athletic and smart, and then uh, uh, slight, smart but not as smart uh, uh, youth. And so you're trying to do things so everybody can be engaged. That's none of ours. All of ours are very intelligent. And so this one particular game, part of the relay was where one person would have to get up on a ladder and they would have to pour whatever disgusting concoction had been created from the ladder into a container that had been fastened to somebody's head. And when this was full, without using their hands, they had to like run over and pour it into another container until that container overflowed. And the all, in all honesty, the point of it was just to get kids really messy and point and laugh at them. Uh, and teach teamwork, of course, teamwork. Teamwork was a big part of it. And so, I don't know, I was studying this particular passage, and for some reason, that popped up into my mind because God spoke something to me. And he said, I, have to, I don't want to misquote what he said. <laughs> I don't want to mess that up. And he says that right now there is a battle for overflow. There is a battle for overflow in our world. And sometimes we think what the enemy wants to do in us is keep us empty. I don't think that's true. What the enemy wants to do is the enemy also wants us to overflow and be full. But he wants us to be full of the things that will actually make us empty. It's backwards. But in the kingdom of God, God desires us to be full and overflow. But it's the type of full and overflow that's life-giving and that actually begins to produce positive fruit, not just in us, but in the The whole point of the overflow is that it spills over out of what you can contain and so that it begins to impact and influence people around you. There's a battle for overflow. Can somebody say overflow? If you're taking notes today, that's actually the title of the message today is the battle for overflow. Throughout scripture, I need to give a little backstory here, and if I go through this too fast, I apologize, but it's, it's laying some framework to get into some of the verses that we've read together. But throughout scripture, God makes it crystal clear that, that what he truly desires is not religion, he desires relationship. Like from the beginning, Genesis chapter one, Adam and Eve are showing up, God's there because he has personal, intimate relationship with humanity, man and woman, that he created in his image. And so, so that kind of got messed up. It didn't, it didn't really make it far past Adam and Eve because it was Adam and Eve that screwed that up for everybody. Thank you, Adam and Eve. We'll talk to you later. But they messed it up. So it was never at any point was it God that separated himself from us. It was humanity through sin that separated ourselves from God. And so, so there's, throughout history, there's always been this distance between, you know, where, where, where the presence of God is and who he's relating to. And, and if you don't know the story and you don't know the history and you don't know the heart of God, you can very easily misread history and paint this false picture that, that God is this, you know, if he's real, he's this distant being who just kind of flipped a switch, spoke some words, set everything in emotion, and then backed off and just kind of let everything, you know, run its course. But in all reality... Who God is is this amazing God, this amazing Savior, this amazing creator and heavenly Father who has never stopped from the moment that sin entered the picture, passionately pursuing humanity so the relationship could be restored again. 
That's been his heart. And so through relationship, we would be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God because it's not our own efforts that do it, right? We can't. We need God's help. We need his Holy Spirit. But the reason why he's doing this now and why he did this, he sent Jesus, Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, rose from the dead, conquered death, hell, and the grave, ascended back to the Father, poured out his Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1 and 2, and now we are filled with the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It is his Spirit. It's in us, those who are Jesus' followers, so that we can not just live Christian lives and not go to hell and go to heaven, but so that the ministry of Christ can continue through us. That's the whole point of it. God's trying to establish his kingdom, not his nation, not his ethnicity, his kingdom in us so that through us his kingdom can be established in the world. If God was simply interested in a ruling kingdom, he would have sent a ruling Jesus to conquer people. That's not what he did. But God's kingdom is about relationship and intimacy with him and subsequently with each uh, with each other, like from us to, to each other, to those outside the world, outside the church, inside the church, those that we agree with, disagree with, look like, don't look like, want to be with, sometimes don't want to be with. Like there, there, Those are the individuals that God desires us also to have healthy relationship with. God's kingdom is about relationship. And because of that, we are called, if you will, to overflow with that same heart from our relationship with God. So relationship with God, it begins with us surrendering to Christ. Repentance, you know, don't be afraid of that word. I've talked about this so much over the last couple of years. Don't be afraid of the word repent. Just because some crazy guy on a, on a, on a corner of a street with a big sign who's yelling and screaming at people, you know, that took the word that's supposed to be so beautiful, it's literally a life-saving word. Repent doesn't mean, uh, you know, it's a religious thing or whatever. Repent means uh, somebody loves you enough to tell you that where you're headed is for destruction. Like you're, you're blindfolded and you're about to walk into moving traffic. Repent means you hear the voice of something that's turn, telling you to turn and you turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction and begin to follow that voice. That's repentance. When you say it that way, you're like, well, that actually kind of sounds like it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a fantastic thing. Repentance is the thing that cleanses our sin because it puts our faith no longer in ourselves but in God. And when we put our faith in God, we'll never be put to shame. And our sins are forgiven, our sins are, cl are cleansed, and our life direction moved towards Jesus. And this surrender of our will and our desires in response to the love and grace of God is what begins the process of, I'm sorry if this is too educational today, but we're moving in, we're trying to get into some content here, this word sanctification. Sanctification, without going into this whole like crazy teaching, it's imperative to have an understanding of what it is. Because without sanctification, we're still dead in our sin in this life. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. Scripture actually tells us, congratulations, so do demons. So do the powers of hell. They believe in Jesus and they tremble at his name. So it's not enough for us to say, yeah, I believe, yeah. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Congratulations. Here's a participation trophy. Good job. No, it's, it's about putting your faith in Jesus. Not just a thought of a belief, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure historically he existed. Yeah, he did some good stuff. He's... Jesus is awesome. No, it's about submitting, surrendering your life to the lordship of him, of God, of Jesus Christ, and allowing this process of sanctification to come inside of you. Sanctification doesn't mean that because you said yes to Jesus that all of a sudden you're perfect. Sanctification is a lifelong journey and process 
of walking with God, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, and you begin to transform from who you were to who God created you to be. Uh, theologian, I didn't, it didn't say who it was, but I love this quote. He said, the, the, the more holy someone is, and we got to take this word holy back, right? Because we've turned that into a, oh, you just think you're holy. You're holier than thou, we have to say it in King James English. It's like, oh, you're better than, that's, that's what it means now, right? You're like, oh, holy, holy means you think you're better than I am. Okay, thank you. No, that's not what that means. Come on now. The more holy someone is, the more humble, the more self-renouncing, the more self-abhorring, had to look that up, and the more sensitive to every sin they become, and the more closely they cling to Christ. So holiness doesn't make you better than somebody else. Holiness actually makes you more desperate to rely on Christ. Because you realize I no longer am okay with who I was. And I realize that literally me taking my eyes off of Christ puts me in a position of not having what it takes to not go back to that. So I better put my arms around the leg of Christ and have him drag me around. No, it's going to be more powerful than that. But it is. It's a dependence on who Christ is. Where the completion of perfection won't take place in this life, the process of perfection is pursued every single day. And I've had people ask me, like, well, what's the point of being holy if I'm never going to reach that perfection? Here, here's, the, here's the point. Holiness is not rule-keeping, but it's Holy Spirit following. That's huge. We, in human nature, we're like, oh, to be holy, I got, all right, what's the, uh, where's that one page in the Bible where it gives me a list of things not to do? Because that's how I'm going to be holy. No, holiness has nothing to do with rule-keeping. Rule-keeping only is going to prove that you can't keep rules which only makes you more aware of what you don't have to succeed. So being holy is allowing the spirit of God, that power of God, to be alive inside of you so that you actually can do what Jesus says that you can do. We're almost past the theological school. <clears throat> so it's, it, it ultimately, ultimately the, the battle for overflow is a battle for your mind. which ultimately is a battle for your soul because what the Bible teaches us is that your soul, like you, as, as a being, you have three parts. I don't know if you knew this. You have a body, clearly we have a body. You have a soul and you have a spirit. Your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so when, when, God, can, when God can get a hold of your soul, he will be able to impact every sphere of who you are because it will infiltrate the way that you think it will infiltrate your will, what the willpower and the desires that you have to live a certain way or to do certain things or respond in certain situations or to follow God or to not. And your emotions, because everyone knows emotions are easy to control. Anyway, okay. But here's the thing. What, what dominates your soul determines what overflows out, of, out from you. What dominates your soul determines what overflows out from you. And so I, I'm, I'm, I've got to... Again, you're going to have to just read the Bible on your own, but we're going to skip over some parts because there are a couple of things that I had to hit getting in today. The first one, I'm going to glance over this, is in verse 1 where it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Paul says, stay true to the Lord. In the, in the Passion Translation, it says it this way, Now arise in the fullness of your union with our Lord. Which either way, you go back to the original language, staying true to the Lord, uh, your union with the Lord. It's painting this picture of a marriage of a marriage union that, that you now have with Christ, 
He's saying stay true to the unity, to the union, to the, to the, uh, the intimacy of relationship that you have with Christ. Because in a marriage, you don't have two individuals living as two individuals. That's the point of marriage. Just as a side note, marriage is not a human institution. It's God's thing, which is why it's important that we do it God's way. If we're not doing it God's way, then we're just doing something that we invented so that we could do whatever the heck we wanted to do. But God, God created marriage to be a thing where two identities, they don't dissolve and become one, they come together and become one. And so it's that same picture in union with Christ. Like we are no longer, I'm no longer just Craig Dyson who happens to be a Jesus follower. I am literally united in relationship as one with Christ. And the reason that is possible is because of the Holy Spirit being alive inside of me. Not to go into too much content detail here, but when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it truly becomes a consummation of the union that you have with Christ. And I would go as far as to say when you refuse, either through choice or through ignorance, to take that step of union with Christ through the Holy Spirit, you're just cohabitating. You're just cohabitating with Christ which creates the picture of union, but it doesn't have the power that comes along with it. Somebody should write that down because that's gonna preach all day and all night somewhere else. So stay unified with Christ. There was more on that, we're moving on. Verse two and three, I'm not gonna preach on that, but I think it's cool that in the midst of Paul talking about joy and trying to, to preach about the gospel and talk about Jesus and, and overcoming these things and don't worry, don't be anxious, and, and he's talking about staying unified with Christ, he follows it up by saying, hey, there's, there's two ladies in the church that I love dearly, and they've been having a disagreement. It's, it's, it's equally important for Paul for us to understand the unity we need to have with Christ as well as the unity we need to have with each other. And, I, and there's, you know, Paul doesn't say much. He, he says, hey, you know, to the guys giving this letter out, can you do me a favor? I love these two women. They've been essential in getting the gospel out. Can you make sure that they work things out? He's like, okay, you got that? Boom, let's move on to the next one, verse four. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord, and I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. There, were, there was great urgency in Paul's plea to always live full of joy. There was urgency in what he was trying to say here. There was an exclamation point at the end of it. He says, always live a rejoicing life. Always live a life that is considered. That word considerate comes from the, 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 the Greek word, which paints a picture of gentle and humble and kind. And, and, and so Paul was, was painting a picture here, and I think that even ties back into those, those earlier two verses about the individuals who were fighting and quarreling. He's like, listen, there's, there's going to be opportunity for the opposite, but I'm charging and challenging you to make sure that everything that you do as you walk out, being filled with the joy of the Lord in every single situation, do so in full consideration for those around you. Because there will be people that are in different seasons that are lacking the joy that you may be walking in. And, and they may not understand it. They may have obstacles that you can't identify with because you're not them. You've, you've never walked in their shoes. You've never had a, a conversation with somebody who's different than you. And so when there are others who are not like you, who struggle with things that you don't struggle with, and all of a sudden we begin to realize it's not about me understanding. It's just about me coming to somebody with kindness and with empathy, with compassion. Because that is the thing that allows conversation and relationship to begin to not to just happen, but to actually last. It's a beautiful thing. But I want to get down here to verse 6. 
where Paul says, don't worry about anything. Because I think right now, more than anything, in the battle for overflow, the enemy wants us overflowing with worry. Worry about everything. If the enemy wrote this, it would be easy to rewrite. It would just be the complete opposite. <laughs> don't worry about it. Worry about everything. What are you talking about? What do you mean don't worry about anything? Have you seen the news? What do you mean don't worry about anything? Have you seen Portland? I was like, yeah, I saw pictures from Portland last night. There was a revival breaking out down by the river where hundreds of people were scaling this sketchy situation where boulders were just so they can get to the water and be baptized, where they were worshiping openly, publicly. God's moving in different places, y'all. You see, you see what you want to see or you see what you allow others to force you to see. But you have the opportunity to choose to see things through the eyes of God. Because again, come on, if you are unified with Christ, it's not just your eyes seeing things, but it's the spirit of God inside of you showing you how to see things differently. Check it out. There are two of your five senses that are the biggest gateways for your soul, your eyes and your ears. These are gateways in which we choose to allow in what is going to impact our mind, our will, and our emotions, which will ultimately dictate our heart and the direction of our life. So the more that you choose to allow your ears and your eyes to see the things and to listen to the things that are going to tear down your soul, you can expect that, you can expect that product. You can expect the fruit of it. But if you choose, it's not about walking around like an idiot, like, oh, I just can't look at this, I can't listen to that, whatever, because I've seen that. And there may have been a season of life where I kind of acted that way. But that's a part of maturity and growing, right? Like you learn. But beginning to understand that we do have a choice in what we listen to and how we listen to it. We do have a choice in what we see. We can, we can make this current about whether it's politics and religion and people going back and forth. We can go deep into the sins that really rip individuals and marriages and people apart because the things, the sexuality that is saturating our entertainment industry across the board, that now, praise God, in some ways is starting to come out in the ways that children are being abused and the pedophiles and, and the people who are wielding all the power who are taking advantage of the next generation, knowing if I can break that generation, then we can get them to do whatever the heck we tell them to do. But we pay for the movies. We pay for the, 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 the music that we listen to that glorifies it. While there's women who are crying out to be empowered, we have industries that continue to keep them beat down and women who are paid very well to stay beat down in those industries. And we choose to be entertained through our eyes and through our ears. We now argue, no, that's not porn. Where 20 years ago, it's like you couldn't even, you know, you couldn't even find a back alley to go access this type of stuff. Now, you can't turn on Netflix. Now you can't put enough parental controls on this stuff so that your kids aren't through distance being sexually abused by the things being put in front of their eyes. And so we, we, we've, we've, if, you just, if you just look around our culture, you begin to see that we have unfortunately allowed through our eyes and through our ears, we have opened up the front door to the enemy of the kingdom of God to waltz right through and to have his way. And so the church at this point, we've got a decision to make. And some people's response to it is to get uber religious and get weird. That doesn't do anything, that divides more. Because the kingdom of God was never meant to divide us against them. The kingdom of God was, came to take us and them and bring us together and point our eyes. Amen. He says, don't let your eyes, you know, like when you, when, you put, when you put blinders on a horse, it's not because the horse doesn't know what to do. 
It's to help remove the distractions from the left and from the right. From the left or, or from the right. From the, the, the politics of the left, from the religious spirit of the right. God wants us to not look in either direction. He wants us to look forward and up. Because Jesus, in, in, in Psalm, the psalmist says, where does my help come from? He says, I look up to the mountains, not because there's something magical about a mountain. It paints this picture of looking up. Jesus came from heaven. He ascended back to heaven when he was done. He descended his Holy Spirit into us. There's an up and down communication happening from heaven to earth, heaven to earth. The realities of what are already in heaven is what God desires us to embrace through his spirit and live out here on earth. Don't worry about anything. What's the answer for worrying? My wife actually hit this when she was wrapping up worship. The answer is prayer. Pray about everything. Everything. You're like, well, what about this? Well, think about it. Do you think it needs prayer? Pray about it. Are you being torn apart by what you see around you? Pray about it. Do you not like what somebody said to you? Don't reply. Pray about it. Easier said than done. I'm guilty. You know, just... We're human beings. What are you going to do? You're going to pray about it. That's what you're going to do. Because here's the cool thing. It says, tell God what you need. But don't stop there. This is because we're good at that. Am I right? We're good at, God, you know, we haven't talked in a while. I got a list. This is what I'm going to need you to do. We got the Christina Aguilera anointing. We're rubbing the bottle, trying to get the genie to come out. See, Christina Aguilera was a pop artist from about, <laughs> anyway. So check this out. It says, then you will, exp like, so don't just tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. Because here's the cool thing. The more that you focus on the gratitude for what God has already done, it will build faith in you for what God still needs to do. We begin to see that God is not a genie who's just sitting waiting to, to request our every wish and, and, you know, and, and make us rich beyond our wildest dreams. And God, if you could just make me happy all the time and, and, and give me the perfect relationships and the job that pays me all the money and, and anything, anyone who doesn't like me, if you could get rid of them, that would be fantastic. And no, God wants you to focus more on, guess what? Do you know what I already have done for you? Here's the cool thing. If Jesus, if God never, ever, ever did anything else for you, ever, which he will. The simple fact that he sacrificed his life for you. When you did not deserve it, by the way, Jesus was not hanging on a cross and visualizing your best day ever so that he could feel better about who he was giving his life for. He's like, oh, well, they helped that old lady across the street, so that kind of helps. Oh, all right, I don't want to think about that one. No. Jesus knew in your worst, darkest moment. He's like, that's, that's who I'm dying for. That's whom I love right there. And the stuff that no one knows about, the deepest, darkest brokenness inside of you, God sees it, but he's not judging you. Don't get me wrong, there will be judgment one day, but the cool thing is, is it because of what Jesus already did? His blood covers everything where we have screwed up. And then because of that sanctification and holiness, it brings us back into an opportunity to begin to walk in an identity that's not who we were, it's who God's created us to be for right now.
don't worry, pray about everything. Yeah, tell God what you need. Here's the cool thing, because have you ever, um, not gonna sing a Garth Brooks song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, anybody? Not the song, but the reality of that statement, you know, it's like, and how many things we prayed for over the years, now you look back, you're like, oh wow, that was a close call. <laughs> Glad that didn't come through, you know, because sometimes it's okay to be honest with God, God, I, I need this, or I even I think I need this, or I want that, or, or I want you to do this in my life. And, and the cool thing is, is that the more gratitude that you express to God in that process, if you are off, God knows he has your heart. And when God has your heart, he can begin to transform and change what's in your heart so that your will begins to align with his will. I know some people are like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know if I want God's will for my life because what if God doesn't want me, what if he wants me to marry an ugly person? These are teenage fears, I've had these. What if, but what if, what if uh, I don't, I don't want to go to Siberia, what if God wants me to go to Siberia and be a uh, missionary? You know, these irrational fears. Listen, God wants to bless you. His plans for you are good and pleasing and perfect. The things that he has for you, like he knew you before you were born. He knew your name. He knew your design. He knew your destiny. God's not looking to punish you with life. He's looking to bless you with life. He says, then you will experience God's peace. Not your peace, not somebody else's peace. If I want peace, I want to make sure it's God's peace. Because I feel like that is the peace that will go beyond anything that I can wrap my mind around. God is so good. And then lastly, if you want to fold up your Bibles, or well, I guess you could probably write this down. <clears throat> he says, one final thing, fix your thoughts. He's not saying fix them because they're broken, even though maybe they are. He's saying fix as in like, you know, fix your position. Point in a singular direction. Fix your thoughts on these things. What is true, honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Don't think that like our thought problems are a 21st century problem. They are a, ever since Adam and Eve decided that that fruit on that tree that he said don't eat looked better than the other fruit that they could have eaten. It's been a problem ever since then. Ever since then, it's always been a battle for overflow. It's always been a battle for our soul. It's been a battle for our mind, for our thoughts. You will leave here today feeling inspired in the presence of God, and it won't take five minutes after we say amen here that you get a text message from somebody or you decide to make the mistake to open up Facebook too quick right after church. Just give it a little time. And you see something that immediately, boom, steals your mind into a different direction. Or the next time that maybe you're, you're, you're home or you're alone and you're not around somebody and before you know it, you're, you're looking at stuff on your phone or online that you know that's been tearing your soul apart, but, but, but you go into a, a different direction and there goes the overflow, the battle for your mind, the battle for your soul. And you need to know today that you do not have to live in fear. I mean, that's a word for us right now. It's been said so many times by so many people, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. I love that. Because that's what the enemy wants you to be filled with. Because fear will cause you to stop. Fear will cause you to sit down when you're supposed to stand. Fear will cause you to back down when you're supposed to press forward. Fear will cause you to give in to what you know is going to destroy you because you're afraid of what it takes to seek victory in your life. 
because you've tried before and it didn't work. It's because you're not supposed to chase victory in your own strength. So this is what I'd like us to do right now, if you will. Can you, just where you are, just stand up where you are. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I'm going to pray for all of us. There's some really good stuff we didn't get to in here, but if you read Philippians chapter 4, God will show you some cool things. It'll be good. It'll, it'll inspire and challenge everybody. But this is what I'd like us to do right now. I want to pray for some individuals. And if you could just, right where you are, just close your eyes. Um, this, is, this is a moment that, that God was speaking to me during worship. Something that, he, something that he wants to do for you in this moment. I know there's, there's you know, many people here, but listen, this is you and God right now. Let God do some work in your heart right now. Let God have an opportunity to do in you what maybe you've had the desire to do or have even maybe tried to do, but have not been able to have victory. Right now, listen, if you're here and you've been battling, I'm calling it the spirit of fear. A spirit doesn't always mean like, you know, a demon that's floating around. Spirit can also mean a mindset. But at the same time, we still have to acknowledge there is an enemy to the kingdom of God, and it's not people. It's the kingdom of darkness. But she's been struggling with the spirit of fear. I'm gonna challenge you right now to not leave this place today without inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and replace. Because here's the thing, where the Holy Spirit is, where the Holy Spirit is flowing and moving in your life, sin cannot exist there. They, they can't cohabitate in the same space. So when you invite the Holy Spirit in and say, God, I need you to come into my heart. I need you to touch the area in my life that has been gripped with fear. And I'm inviting you to come in Jesus and take authority of that place in my life to have a seat in that place where I have given authority over to fear. If that's you, I pray over you in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ right now. I take authority over that spirit of fear. We cast it out in the name of Jesus and we command you to submit to the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us that at the mention of his name, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so right now, I don't know who you are, and I'm not even asking you to identify yourself, but right now, if that's you, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of you right now. God, we cast out fear, and we replace it with your perfect love, because your word says that perfect love casts out all fear. there's somebody here who's been um, struggling with lung issues. You're like, oh no, not the, not the Rona. Okay, no, that's, that's not what I'm hearing. <clears throat> but you've been struggling for a while with lung issues and uh, you've been to doctors, you've had x-rays. You're like, I don't know, it's this, try this, try that. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's something that has been chronic. And, and God wants to heal that right now. And I, I, if, 
I mean, we don't need people looking around, but if, that, if that's you, can, if you're here, I don't know if you're here or not, um, can you just like raise your hand or let me know if that's, I don't know. I'm gonna pray for it. I'm gonna pray for it anyway. <clears throat> Jesus, we, we just thank you, God, that you are our healer. It's not just something that you do, it's who you are. Like you don't just love, you, you are love. You don't just heal when, when you're doing something on the side. You are healer, you are healing, you, you are that power. So Father, we pray right now, maybe it's someone who's a family member of somebody who's here, or a friend, whatever, but God, we just pray for whoever that individual is right now. I pray that right now in this moment, in this instance, at this particular time of day, Lord, that they would recognize that something changed inside their chest. I see a tumor, I see a tumor dissolving. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Convo Church. Thanks again for listening. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.